Welcome to Take Command, a Dale Carnegie podcast, the show where we seek to uncover what leadership means in today's world. I'm Joe Hart, CEO of Dale Carnegie, and we'll be talking to diverse leaders with stories to tell across various industries to help unlock your potential for success. We will be sharing real-life insights into leadership, which in turn can help spark the next level of your growth as a leader. Today, we're thrilled to welcome a guest who has spent a career creating community and inspiring growth. With a commitment to vision and passion for promoting more diverse, inclusive, and innovative workplaces, she has a long-standing history leading the way for meaningful change with companies such as Exxon and IBM. Please welcome the Vice President of Human Resources and the Chief Global Diversity Officer for Boston Scientific, Camille Chang-Gilmore. Camille, welcome. It's so good to see you again. Great to see you too, Joe. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you for being uh, with us. I know our listeners really are going to enjoy the conversation we're going to have. You've achieved a very impressive level in your career. You're the Chief Global Diversity Officer of Boston Scientific, Vice President of Human Resources. You oversee 49,000 people. So I definitely want to talk about that role and some of the important things that you're doing. You've also had a really incredible journey to get here. Talk a little bit about some of the key things along your way to your current role. Well, I first want to just acknowledge that the Chang in my name is not by accident. So you may have seen Camille Chang Gilmore. I am Jamaican Chinese, so I was born in Kingston, Jamaica. We came to the United States when I was five years old. My mother's a nurse. My dad was the prime minister's personal bodyguard in the Jamaican police force. I lived in New York the majority of my life, so I am a New Yorker, and I had my education at Penn State University, as well as the University of Illinois, where I got my MBA. An interesting factoid is that I joined a sorority called Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, and why I mention it is because it's not like traditional sororities in the United States. It's the first Black historic sorority founded at Howard University, and the motto is service to all mankind. And some of the most famous members are people like Coretta Scott King, Rosa Parks, Mae Jamison, the first astronaut in space, and now, yes, our Vice President of the United States, Kamala Harris. So service to all mankind is something that's been ingrained in me and who I am, as well as really helps me to do this work for Boston Scientific. I've had an amazing career, worked for some amazing companies, Federal Express, where it was people, service, profit. Take care of people, they'll provide excellent service and we make money. Worked for Exxon, I worked for the Teamsters and actually I was an MBA assigned as the third chair. And I remember one of the experiences I got was getting egged or dismissed at the table. And I remember closing the bargaining books and saying, you know what, if you're not gonna talk to me, you're not gonna talk to anyone here. And it took such courage. And I remember running to the ladies room afterwards and going, whew, I hope I wasn't fired. And I remember the person coming in and saying, nice job. And I said, I'm not fired. And they said, absolutely not. As a matter of fact, you're coming back tomorrow. And if you didn't say something, you weren't coming back. And she said, you learned the first lesson of a leader. When invited to the table, don't ever get punked at the table. And I've never forgotten that. Show up and make sure you put your voice in the room. That excellent story, I mean, that must have been a real challenging moment for you. It's kind of a defining moment. Did you hesitate? Was it just an immediate courageous reaction? And have you found other moments like that along the way as well? 
Oh, wow. Good question. And yes, and yes, and yes. <laughs> so, you know, in that moment, you have to remember in B school, I'm third chair. So technically, I'm just supposed to cost out the proposals. There's not much I'm supposed to really contribute beyond the numbers. What I recognized in that moment is that I had value. And in that moment, I wanted to demonstrate my value. Otherwise, why am I in the room? And I realized that if you allow people to disrespect you like that, then they will continue to do that. And I was just not going to allow that to happen. And just because of who I am and what I felt I could contribute. And yes, I'm in my late 20s, this young hotshot MBA. But I realized the three times that they did it, it really annoyed me. And it made me feel less than. And I was not going to allow that to happen in that room in that moment. And I took a chance and the chance paid off. One of the things I recognized is that you have to have courage, innate courage. And I think that's what is a foundation of leadership is to have the courage to bring forward things that are sometimes difficult. Where would you say you find your source of courage? Have you always been courageous? Have you become more courageous over time? Where does that come from? Oh, that comes from my mom. My mom is Pamela Chang. Uh, she's a widower. My dad died when I was 18 when I was at Penn State. And my mother worked three jobs to put me through school. And people say, how is that even possible? And I said, well, she's a nurse. So she worked seven to three at one hospital, three to 11 at another hospital. That was Monday through Friday. And then on the weekends, she found another hospital and worked there. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, one of the things that she didn't do is she didn't complain. One of the things that she often said is that it will work out because you work hard. And that's so true. If you put in the time, put in the effort, work hard, good things will happen. One of the other things I think my mother has taught me is kindness, but also diplomacy. A key thing that I think over the last few years, many people have forgotten. What is diplomacy? And diplomacy is the ability to have conversation, possibly disagree, but use your influence to move things for the better good of all. She's uh, still here with us today. And anytime I talk to her, she always says, Camille, diplomacy, diplomacy, diplomacy. Sometimes easier said than done, right? I mean, we're, we're in that kind of a hot moment. Something is challenging. We want to say something. To be diplomatic is not always as easy as it would seem, but clearly critically important. You had that experience at Exxon. You went on to IBM. Talk a little bit more about what happened next. So at IBM, it was awesome because I had the opportunity to work for Sam Pamazama, who's the um, CEO at the time for IBM. And I got onto that opportunity. I was a recruiter and someone called me up and said, hey, we're having trouble with a wreck. It's been idle for six months. Can you take a stab at it? And I said, sure. And one of the things I realized is that it was uh, for a company that we were aligned to. So I called them and I just said, hey, I'm Camille Chang Gilmore. IBM would like to have a conversation with you. Can you tell me who is the person in the West Coast who's responsible for this account? And I got it like that. And I said, wow, this couldn't be that easy. And then I called that person. I said, are you responsible for this account? You know, we have someone that wants to talk to you who's the CEO. And they said, sure, I'll send you my vitae over now. And I thought to myself, that was just too easy. And what I recognized when I got the information, I sent it over to my boss. She said, Camille, I called you at 8 a.m. East Coast time. By noon, you had the resume, contact information, email of the person that we've been trying to go get 
how did you do this? When this wreck was sitting idle for six months and all my recruiters said that we could never find this individual. I said, well, I got out of my own way. I got out of my own head. And instead of seeing it as an obstacle or a hard to find opportunity, I embraced it and said, wow, this is a challenge. What's the best way that I'm gonna go about identifying who this individual is? And I took a chance. I was honest, I was forthright, I didn't hide who I was. And because I did that, they gave me the information and I was then able to give it to my boss. And when my boss gave it to our CEO, he wanted to know who the recruiter was that did that. She told him who it was and he said, well, guess what? She is now my executive recruiter. Wow. Just to go back, I mean, you said something that really jumped out, which is you talked about your mindset. You saw it as a challenge. You saw it as an opportunity. Have you always had that kind of way of looking at problems or is that something you've kind of developed over the years? I think I've had an innovation mindset over time because I think that's one of the things that you have to reach into to help you think outside the box. And, and I've always been solution oriented. I can't stay in the problem. I feel like the problem doesn't really provide clarity or the teachable moment. So it really is going to be that innovation. And it's not just yourself. Sometimes you have to bring other people in to the conversation to help you move things. And I think recognizing that is really going to be important. Mm -hmm. You made this kind of transition and now you get into essentially recruiting as a result of that experience. So then what happened next? So after I was in recruiting, I then went and worked for the state of Oregon. And that was interesting because it was state government. I had never done that before. And in that role, I worked as the head of training for the state of Oregon. And then while I was there, they gave me a twofer. They said, well, we see you have recruiting in your background. In addition to this training, we want you to do this recruiting. So I also led recruitment for the state of Oregon. And the wonderful thing I loved about that opportunity is I had no budget. Now, some of you would say, Camille, you had no budget. That's not wonderful. It actually was because one of the things I had to do is I had to create partnerships. I had to go to each state agency, whether it was corrections, whether it was the technology team and say, you know, hey, I need help. I remember being the head of training for the state. I had to stand up a training center. We had been paying all this money to a community college for them to allow us to use their training rooms. They said, you know, we need to create a training center and we have to do it at a reduced cost. I ended up walking into a building that was empty on the second and third floor. And I turned around and I said to someone, who owns this? They said, actually, Camille, it's in your budget. You've been paying for this for a long time. Your predecessor just never used it. I was like, you mean I pay for this already? They're like, yeah. It's like, okay, it was a gorgeous space. I then went to a meeting and I was sitting next to the head of corrections. I turned to him. He goes, how are things going? I said, great. I'm trying to build a training center, but I have no furniture. I have no um, equipment. What do you think I should do? He goes, Camille, he turned to me. He said, you know, the incarcerated actually make furniture. I think we could help you with that. I was like, wow. So then remember, I worked for IBM. So I reached out to my contacts at IBM. I shared with them that HP was in Corvallis here in Oregon, down the road in Salem. And there was an opportunity for IBM to help the state of Oregon with computers to help us stand up this training center. And of course, because of those relationships, 
They said, absolutely. And of course, there was an inventory of equipment that they probably had shelved and said, you know what, you can utilize it. The next thing is, remember, I'm responsible for all things recruiting and training for the state of Oregon. So I'm meeting with some folks and in Oregon, you have to put information about a posting in the paper to ensure that all people receive the information because some people don't have internet, believe it or not. I asked for an audit with the Oregonian, which is the local newspaper. Hey, can just everyone tell me that whatever posting that we had, that it matched up with the payment? Guess what? There was a discrepancy, Joe. (laughs) A big discrepancy to the point where they owed the state money. Wow. So now I didn't have any budget, supposedly, right? So now they're going to reimburse us for those monies that was missing. And now guess what? I have budget for my training facility. You started with essentially nothing and you could have had a completely (laughs) different mindset about it. You could have said, well, I don't know how this is going to happen. What you really did was you said, in what ways can we? And you worked with other people and that mindset that goes back to what you were saying earlier, even about things like diplomacy, you had the people skills to be able to engage people, to be able to get the help that you needed. You created a beautiful training center, it sounds like. It was so beautiful that we even took it a step further and we had the kids in the state from all the elementary schools donate art to help us decorate it. How about that? It was awesome. And it was a true testament to collaboration at its finest. But we need a picture. We need a picture so we can show that somewhere on the site. Sounds beautiful. It's so many years ago, but hopefully, you know, they still have decided to do it and not have outsourced training. But it was one of those moments where as leaders, we're going to get our budget slashed. We're going to get budget taken away. Sometimes we're going to get budget given to us based on things that happen. With the racial reckoning of George Floyd last year, many companies started to put their money where their mouth is related to social justice issues. And for many chief diversity officers, it was a moment where they were like, wow, They're getting the money now to do the work. The wonderful thing is, I think as leaders, sometimes you have to think about where are the partners that you can pull together to create a movement that allows you to really have impact. And to me, a big part of that is collaboration. You certainly are doing that right now in your current role. And you have really, it sounds like a a platform to do it. As you mentioned, these times, particularly the last year, have raised awareness around critical disparities and biases in our world. And I know as the global chief diversity officer, you've been doing a number of things at Boston Scientific, really to lead the way. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of the things that have been important to you in your role and really how you see even some of the things that you've done kind of leading up to this mantle you have right now? Thank you for allowing me to even share the amazing work that we're doing with Close the Gap. For many that don't know, Close the Gap is Boston Scientific's health disparity work. And we've been doing this now for going on 16 years. So this wasn't just something that we stood up as a result of COVID-19 and the pandemic and the issues around social justice. We've been doing this work and doing this work for a while. Our priority is really around making sure that we break down the barriers of disparities when it comes to non-invasive care for women, for Blacks, and Hispanics, where we've seen them being treated disparately. And to be candid with you, my own mother 
is a recipient of the benefits of me working in this space. She, as I mentioned, was a nurse, but was recently in a situation where she needed to have an advocate to educate not only her, but physicians. Her symptoms were not going to be similar to those of maybe white male counterparts. And so one of the things that I think Close the Gap has done is educate providers around the health inequities. It focuses on educating our patients, but more so empowering our patients and providers to really think about the care that they're giving to the local communities. One step further, that's even more important, we're heightening our focus on increasing more women, Blacks, and Hispanics in clinical trials. For we know if they participate in clinical trials, then we then have the continued efficacy to then treat those patients. So it's something that's near and dear to us as a company and something that we've been doing for a long time. And I just applaud the leadership of our CEO, Mike Mahoney, as well as the board of directors who see this as such a critical tool, especially now, because many hospital systems are seeing Close the Gap as helping them with their post-COVID-19 coverage strategy. So the company has really been a leader in this area for many, many years, and, and now you have a chance to do even more. Within the company, and we think about culture, how do we build stronger cultures? What advice would you have about companies that want to build more inclusive cultures or people who want to just work individually to become more sensitive and more proactive around uh, inclusion and diversity? You know, I think it starts with your values. The one thing about Boston Scientific is we have very clear values. It's about caring, caring for our patients, our communities, and our employees. It's about diversity, ensuring that we are laser focused on bringing the most diverse talent into the company. It really is about high performance and making sure we deliver on our commitments and what we say we're going to do, not only to the street, but as to the development of products to bring about less invasive therapies to our communities. It's about that global collaboration. And more importantly, too, it's about that winning spirit. Mike has brought such a winning spirit to Boston Scientific. It's embedded in our fabric. And I believe that if you hone in on your values, that then gives leaders direction as it relates to expectations, but also helps to embed and create that culture. I believe culture is about three things, experiences, environment, and engagement. And when we talk about experiences, it's putting you in situations that yes, may be uncomfortable, but allow you to reap the value and understanding of a community. You wanna make sure that you create a culture that allows people to have those experiences, but it's also creating an environment and psychological safety that allows everyone to be their full self. And that is so important. And that's demonstrated in our ability to have the pride flag flown at every US site where it's legally possible to do that. It's making sure that we have the employee resource groups that are available where you can feel supported as well as more importantly, being seen. So it's experiences, it's environment, but then it's engagement. It's engaging you in a dialogue that's authentic, transparent, and honest. And really honing in on the fact that we want everyone to be contributing 
and no one standing on the sidelines. And I think that's what we've been able to do at Boston Scientific around those three areas. It's a real success story. As you said, it doesn't happen by accident. It starts with those values and really supporting the values with communication and action and collaboration. And but to have that kind of a culture, especially among a company of Boston Scientific's size is a tremendous achievement. As you look ahead, what excites you most about your work over the next year, several years? What are some of the things that are really uh, exciting to you? What excites me is that we're going to enjoy the journey and not the destination. One of the things that many people have heard me say is that diversity, equity, and inclusion at Boston Scientific is about winning in the marketplace, leveraging all talent to yield the best performance, creating that high-performance culture for high-performance talent. And we're going to do this in a very sustainable way, looking at where we can continuously improve, creating some sustainability, and then stepping into and owning industry leadership. And that's one of the things that we are so excited about. To me, it is probably going to be in the health equity space, just based on what's happened in the global pandemic and seeing the number of people that are impacted. I think that's an opportunity for us. I mean, I don't know if you've seen this report, but the McKinsey report that says Black Americans are almost two times as likely to live in countries at the highest risk of health and economic disruption for COVID. So the opportunity for us to really impact, not just locally and in the U.S., but globally, is definitely there. That's awesome. Very exciting. And what a great opportunity to have the platform that you have to really bring about justice in the world. That's really a tremendous opportunity. Just to switch for a second, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask about is Camille as a mom. One of the things you shared with me was how proud you are of your two sons. And you inspired me by telling me something recently, which is the quote, you are destined for greatness. Talk about that story. I've actually (laughs) shared that with my kids since you told it to me. (laughs) When my sons were early in their formative years, I guess four and five, they were diagnosed on the autism spectrum. I've been very candid and open about that, but it's not been a limiter to them. And one of the things that they have done is just been amazing. I think I shared with you the story that when we got their diagnosis, I actually went into a little closet, fell on my knees and said, why me? And I felt that there was this voice that said to me, get over yourself. It's not about you. (laughs) It's about those boys. So get to work. And once I got out of my own head and recognized that it wasn't about me, we got into action. We got the best position in Florida, we live in Georgia, to help us understand the chemical makeup of both boys. And then really make sure that we were aggressive with our diet, making sure that they even got the new and latest therapies, hyperbaric chamber and vitamins, and just made sure that their habits and their eating was right. But also we put resources in place. Every Sunday they had one of the teachers come in and tutor them for two hours. And then Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, they had peer tutoring, kids that went to school with them that would come and help them in tutoring. And I remember, you know, when that doctor spoke to me at age four and five, I said, oh, just you need to give up on them. And I said, you know what? Never, never, never give up on your children, never give up on yourself. And I shared with them the mantra that I would say, you are, and they'd say, destined for greatness. And then I'd have them shout at the top of their lungs, destined for greatness. They've done that their whole lives. They're now in their 20s. And what is so wonderful, they're both at universities. 
one at the University of Alabama, the other one's at Manchester University playing football. And they overcame all those obstacles that people said was going to be in their way. They're the most productive, kind, gentle, hardworking young men you would ever want to see and meet. You would never know, never know that they had that struggle. What a great story. It's an inspiring story. The mindset that you demonstrated was a determination. It was a faith that you were going to work to help bring out the best in your children, your sons. You gave them a, well, and Dale Carnegie would say, fine reputation to live up to, but you really reinforced that they were destined for something, that they had value. And it's one of the things we talk about in Dale Carnegie. Dale Carnegie believed that every single person has inherent greatness. We believe that as, as a business, everyone's got this greatness. And how do we help bring it out and cultivate it? And you really did that with your sons. So thank you for sharing that personal story. Camille, as you think about where we are right now, one of the things you had said to me, which I wanted to ask you about was, you've got to believe in yourself and surround yourself with people who believe in you. Tell us a little bit about that thought process. And is there a specific experience that you had that kind of encapsulates that for you? You know, Joe, I truly believe you have to have what I call a kitchen cabinet. You have to have those people who are unafraid, unapologetic to tell you the truth, but also able to tell you when you're doing great and good work. You need to look at who is in your cabinet. It really is about probably five people who know you well that can maybe even give you a business perspective, a personal perspective, and bring you back to know from which you came, but also tell you where you're going and what they see as it relates to your potential. As I look back in my journey within even the various companies, there was a point where I didn't know if I could do the CEO work, this is the chief diversity officer work. I often share with people who I am because I often say, I know I'd want to know what makes you qualified to do this work. And when you look at just kind of the experiences, I guess I am qualified, right? In a lot of ways, <laughs> just to feel the number of experiences. But it was that kitchen cabinet that said, Camille, you've been doing this employee resource group work. You were founders of two of the ERGs that are at Boston Scientific. Of course you're qualified. Or someone would say, Camille, you've been doing this health disparity work when no one asked you to do it. <laughs> you are qualified. Or, you know what, Camille, you have an MBA. You are qualified. Just reminding you of those things to then push you. What those people do for you is allow you and force you to lean into what I call a fearless mindset. Because what has happened now is I lean into the fear because it's actually energetic for me. I'm imagining what the possibilities could be if I just take the risk. I'd love to hear an example of that or yeah. how you do that. So this past year in 2020, after we stood up the strategy to combat racism, we wanted to put billboards in a number of cities, specifically one Minnesota, the other in Detroit, New Orleans, and Dallas, that actually said end systemic racism. I mean, they were bold, they were to the point, and it had the Boston Scientific logo on it. And I remember some people were like, wow, that's in your face. <laughs> Do we really want to get, and I said, why not? We just stood up a two and a half million dollar strategy where we're going to give two and a half million dollars externally to combat racism. 
I think one way to show people where our money, where our mouth is, is to do something like that and to show them where we stand. Leaders stand. Leaders stand for something. And I will tell you, we leaned in because it was the right thing to do, not to get us publicity. But at the end of the day, many people, many partners said, wow, we want to continue to partner with you. And those who hadn't partnered with us before now wanted to. You have to incrementally grab onto those moments, leverage them, and continue to build on. And that's what we actually did. We were doing the work. We were partnering with the historical Black colleges and universities already. We brought in disability and to talk to us and learn and to teach us how to have training to educate people on disability. What was so funny, you know, we treat the disabled, Joe, but we didn't even have a disability ERG. That was crazy. <laughs> and we did. We recognized how odd is that, that we treat the disabled every day, but didn't have a disability ERG in our preview. And it's changed everything about who we are as well, from our facilities to even access on virtual, making sure that we have translations, that we help the hearing impaired, just the benefits and the reaping of it has just been so great. So That's awesome. And it goes to show what can happen, going back to what you said, when you have fearless leadership and you take a chance to do the right thing and you start to just discover where that can go, great things happen. Camille, do you have any closing advice or insights you'd care to offer our listeners? I think one of the things when people ask me how Boston Scientific has been so successful as leaders, I think they did three things just wonderfully. And we continue to do it, which is we listen, we learn, and then we act. And that's so important to get them in that order. It's important to listen and understand and then learn, take the findings from that and then figure out what are the things that you can do to act. As we've been through this journey the last year, one of the things it's made me do is look at my beliefs and hone in on my beliefs. And I've learned that I've also made winning a part of my life and want to enjoy the pure joy, as well as understand that it can't be at all costs to my health, to my mental, to my physical. And that's going to be also so much more important as well my spiritual connections, my mental wellness, as well as my physical fitness. It's important to have servant leadership, have a teachable spirit, learn to live in the gray. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but know where we are today. And then just recognize, more importantly, the power of my words to really plant seeds of flowers that can even harvest and change the trajectory of how people are feeling and wanting to show up. That's what my gift to everyone that's listening, just recognize the power of your words and your influence. Thank you, Camille. It's a great reminder. We sometimes get so caught up in what we're doing that we forget the impact that we can have on other people. And a simple kind word sometimes can make a huge difference in someone's life, just even giving them the time or the care for the attention. So thank you for that reminder. Thank you for this phenomenal interview and all of this advice. I'm so grateful to have you with us today. And I know that this is an interview that people are going to love. Oh, thanks so much, Joe. It's a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Take Command, a Dale Carnegie podcast. Check out our resources page at www.dalecarnegie.com 
For more research, insight, and tools that will support your success in taking command of your leadership potential. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating it and subscribing to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, thank you for listening, and we look forward to you joining us at the next episode of Take Command, a Dale Carnegie podcast.